Hello and howdy everyone. Welcome to another Adventures in Angular. I am Alyssa Nigel and today we have a very special guest that I cannot wait to introduce to you. But first, our magnificent panel. We have Brooks Forsyth with us. Hello. Hey. And we also have Chris Ford with us. Greetings from dark and gloomy UK. Summer <laughs> has truly arrived here today. <laughs> Yeah, I want you guys to know that I kind of melded your names in my head. So I'm all the time saying Chris Brooks, like that's one name. And then I'm like, nope, nope. Like I have to keep correcting myself. So. <laughs> okay. Um, someone would be Ford Forsyth. So that'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> you have the beautiful alliteration. So. <laughs> True. Okay. So let's introduce our guest of the hour. And honestly, yeah, probably top five of my must-know in Angular people, and just in general, because this person is so cool and so honest and just very, I don't know, very a neat fella. So I'm going to introduce Uri Shaked. Welcome to the show, Uri. Thank you, Alisa. Very warm introduction. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. So or for people who sadly up to this point have not had you in their life. Can you give a brief intro on who you are, what you do, and where to find you online? Yeah, of course. So first of all, I believe that I'm a firm believer in taking a problem and tackling it until like you solve it, but only if you really enjoy it. And I do it all the time with technology, basically looking at how you can use technology to or how we can use technology to improve our lives. And also, I think this should be fun. I, I really like to try to find the fun in what I'm doing. And other than that, I used to go to a lot of conferences before the pandemic and uh, share the, mm -hmm. the knowledge and my passion for those technologies in these conferences. Now, we have podcasts like this one and blog posts, so... I'm still doing it, but in a bit different format. Mm. Yeah, that's it's definitely something I wanted to talk about today with you. I know we're going to hit up some web components and Arduino and JavaScript. JavaScript? I can't talk to But <laughs> I wanted to, before we hit that up, talk about just community and travel and really how everything's kind of changed, especially with people who used to travel a lot for their jobs so so yeah i i think like for me this actually started changing about it, it was an interesting transition i started public speaking i think in 2015 and my first time was like really really tough i can tell you more about it in a, in a moment but mm -hmm. then i think up to 2018, that was in uh, NG Atlanta. I think you were also there, right? I was, yeah. So up to NG Atlanta, I felt like every conference I went to was a race against time to come up with the best presentation I could. 
And that was kind of stressful on one hand, but nowadays when I just, you know, go on YouTube and watch talks that I gave a few years ago, I'm really happy with the results. So it, it was like that for a few years. And then around the beginning of 2018, I learned how to take it more easily and started enjoying conferences. But so what did you do differently? Did you just stress less about creating talks? I think one thing that I changed was instead of coming up with a completely new talk every time, I found some stuff that I was really passionate about and started giving talks about that. So all the talks were essentially the same and they had most of the material ready more or less. And I also realized that my feeling as for how I perceived the result, the talk that I was giving, was not really representative of what the crowd felt because I had mm. some idea or some goal in mind and I wanted to be at least as good as the ideal that I had in my mind. But for the audience, for most of them, it was fun or and good nevertheless. So I think I learned to go easier on myself and I also had like this kind of talks that I was reusing across conferences, so I didn't have to prepare as much. Mm. And I also, instead of like giving three or four talks in a conference, I used to do this sometimes, like in the first conference I ever spoke, and it was horrible. I only gave one talk, so it also made like reduced most of the pressure. So that was around two years ago, but then. The unfortunate thing is that it didn't last for very long. Just <laughs> what do you mean? You're saying doing one talk, a conference didn't last very long? No, uh, having fun at the conference. Oh. Uh, at, some, <laughs> at some point, it just became very repetitive. Like I would come to a conference and I would just hang around with some friends before the conference and after the conference. But I didn't really find it as much fun to be in the conference itself as it used to be. I don't know really what happened. Maybe it's that landscape and change, like the people that go mm. to conferences have changed. Or I can't really put my finger on the specific reason. But at some point, like uh, last year, I just started feeling it wasn't so much fun anymore going mm. to conferences. At least going like, to conferences abroad, to be more specific. I, I've experienced that as well. And I didn't know if it was just conference fatigue or, like you said, if the landscape or the community had changed or if it was me who had changed as far as, you know, I used to go to a conference and sit in every talk, have my notebook out and be like, oh, you've got like constantly just like you've got to look more into this or, you know, writing things down that I learned. And so since I kind of stopped doing that, um, as I frequented more and more conferences, I didn't know if it was me or the conference itself <laughs> or just travel in general. I, I didn't know. Brooks or Chris, do you have anything to weigh in as far as have you ever experienced conference fatigue? Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> no, you see, I haven't been to enough conferences. In fact, I've only been to one. I went to Angular Connect in 2016 mm. and, it, and I saw Uri there, though we didn't, we didn't meet. And it was fabulous. You know, I really loved that conference, but I haven't been back to one since. I was meant to go to RxJS Live in London in March. And 
for obvious reasons that one got postponed mm, yeah. but yeah no I was really looking forward to going to that one because I remember having a real blast when I went to Angular Connect and in fact Angular Connect in general I would love to to get back to as well so yeah I I I can't have conference fatigue but I could see why you might have it because I mean it was an exhausting couple of days and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't talking or anything. I was literally just there, like Alyssa says, you know, just to to sit and absorb. And I was I was quite new new to Angular and and front end dev in general then as well. So I was just like a sitting there like a sponge, just absorbing <laughs> all this info. And yeah, I came away from that just with my mind blown, and just I had so many ideas of like w- what direction I wanted to to take my whole career in. It was it was fantastic, but. Yeah, so yeah, I could imagine that, that going through that whole whirlwind roller coaster of emotions on a regular basis would be quite exhausting. Mm, yeah, so some part of me is like, maybe I was doing it wrong. <laughs> like, maybe I should conference better. <laughs> but man, like talking about, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's changed, especially like I have an advocacy job. And so before a lot of my, my role was travel two conferences and now it's kind of like how do I creatively pivot and do events online and you know even Angular Connect I think is the the one that's upcoming it's like in three months two months uh, so I should have the exact date that I'm speaking at but it's an it's an online event which I know I don't know it has a different feeling than in-person events but it's definitely from a travel perspective I, I feel like it releases some people from the burden of that so have you guys been to a lot of the online conferences that are going on i've been speaking in one of them and i think the most interesting part about it was a few days before the conference they decided to open a slack channel for the speakers and since it was online they could and it was one of the first conferences online, they could just invite a lot of well-known speakers from all around the world. So I had a chance to reconnect with a lot of people I've met in the uh, physical, in the face-to-face conferences over the years. And I think everybody was sort of excited to have everyone in the same Slack group for a couple of hours and sort of relieve that conference experience, but I think it was in a way more kind of nostalgic and it was a bit more intense as well because unlike a normal conference where you have like a few days to hang out with people, it was like just like three or four hours where you attended that Slack channel and everybody's like, hey, I'm going to watch this though. How have you been? And whatever. Yeah, I went to the, well, went to, I didn't go anywhere. I went, I watched the Ionic comp one. I watched some of it and then they were like, well, we're going to put the talks on YouTube after. And I was like, well, psh, I got work to do. So, <laughs> you know, X that window <laughs> and got back to work, work. And I, I haven't gone back and watched the YouTube videos because, mm-hmm. you know, I, stuff I do happens, think that right? that's a really, that is a problem with like the online events is yeah. it's hard to carve out that time, especially if it's all recorded and available later. Yeah, right the urgency is gone mm. so we, we spend Actually, like a lot of our time just sitting in our chairs right and even more so now sitting in our chairs watching videos <laughs> of people talking right so going to a conference just feels like it would be work like work now 
actually, there is a fun story from that conference. One thing they, they really tried to do but didn't go very well is to have a Q&A sessions with the speakers just after the talk ends. And, what happened? Uh, Why didn't it go well? <laughs> nobody asked any questions almost, or everyone exactly. refused to answer them. Uh, nobody signed in for those sessions. So in case oh. of one of... I was there just you know, to see what happens for the other speakers. And one of them, I don't know if you know him, he's a very talented speaker, uh, Gil Tayar. So I joined his uh, Q&A session and I saw there was nobody else asking questions. So I asked him if he could read some poetry for me because he really likes poetry. Mm. So he turned around into his bookshelf and looked through his books. He didn't find any poetry, but he found Dune and started reading from Dune live. <laughs> that was wow. so much fun. I posted it on Twitter after and like... That was so unexpected. I remember seeing that and I thought it was like a planned thing. I love that it was impromptu. <laughs> That's how we do, we do things, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I've been doing a lot of events on Twitch lately. And we're actually planning DevReach for, oh, I want to say it's either August or September. And I I feel like there's two different types of consumers. There's the ones who are like, at work, like you said, and they're like, okay, I'm just going to tune in occasionally, but they're not super active in the chat because there'll be times where I do like monthly or every other week, these like all day streams and we're giving away prizes like for trivia, like Amazon gift cards, or like sometimes we're giving away the switch or an Xbox. And I always expected like, you know, I'll be like, Oh, look, there's 50 people watching right now. But then whenever I'm like, Hey, like, you know, enter this in the chat for a chance to win. And I'll only get like five people that talk. And I'm thinking like everyone else is just like working while you have something going in the background. And I'm like, guys, this is for, like you could win something. Like, come on. So I found it interesting to try and like engage the audience. And there, there are those two different types since they're watching from home and not live in person. So so what are Maybe the odds that I walk away with an Xbox? I just, <laughs> you're saying one out of five? Not five. One in five, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> when are you streaming again? <laughs> <laughs> like in that scenario, yes. Like I'm, I'm very surprised. I was like, why? Why? Like I think for the Switch Lite, we had like 30 people enter the survey because you have to enter an email address for a chance to win. And But we had way more than like that as far as like unique viewers and people watching. And so I'm just like, do you all just hate video games i don't know <laughs> i don't know i haven't figured it out yet but i our boss she actually sent out what are they called a vr headset to all of us and she said i want you guys to find a way to basically create a virtual space that mimics like the hallway track or you know the time between talks where somebody's at a booth or somebody's like having that in-person chat and so we're still kind of working on it there's not a lot of great spaces out there that are built right now that can also connect to like a 2D, like, you know, somebody join on their phone if they don't own a headset. So I know people are trying like <laughs> to brainstorm and be creative for events right now um, in this very weird world that we're working in. But I know, Uri, you had mentioned you feel less stressed now than you did before. Do you think it's just because you're not traveling? I think for the most part, yes. It's a combination of not traveling and also not having even local meetups and going to local events. That mm -hmm. would be 
consuming, like driving there. Uh, you haven't been to Israel yet, I think, but uh, drivers here are not very friendly. So every time you go <laughs> on the road, it's like going into a war zone. Um, <laughs> so you're saying it's like crazy stressful and something you avoid at all costs. I try to avoid it as much as I can. And yeah, and then even sometimes the events themselves, like some of the events are really well organized, but sometimes it's just like the rooms, you know, there is a meetup and there is not enough space in the room and the AC is not working. And in Israel, no AC is like... I'm out. No AC, I'm gone. Yeah, no, see ya. Yeah, or sometimes like there are technical difficulties and, you know, if it's online, like just what like what you said, you can just sign off or, you know, do something else and show the screen to entertain your pet while you're walking the dog <laughs> or something. Oh, no, you're saying like half my views are probably cats. <laughs> <laughs> and dogs. <laughs> and dogs, right. We don't want to discriminate here. <laughs> So what are we going to talk about next? Okay. So if you don't know, Lori, then you might not know that besides I like... I will pretend. <laughs> besides being great with software, you are one of the few people that I know are also really hardware centric and can like just build something. You'll be like, <laughs> like for instance, hanging out with you. I have no idea where it was. You could probably remember. And you had built a like actual in-life person of the uh, no internet page with the dino that hops. And it was like hopping over like little cactuses that you had built. And it was going around this track and it was freaking awesome. Do you remember this? <laughs> I think I do. I think I do. I still like... You think you do? Well, you build so many things that you're like, mm, I kind of remember that contraption. Like, <laughs> I, I love like that game. <laughs> Thanks uh, from the order of that game. I don't know. Yeah. Some guy at Google. So <laughs> I spent about a month of my life making this happen. And then I was nearly happy with the result when it finally uh, was presented in the Chrome Dev Summit. But I did learn a lot from that project. And I think the main thing is you say, like, I know how to take ideas and realize them with hardware and i think it's just the same like like we all do with software like it's the same skill but you need a different or some more knowledge like specific but as time goes on more and more weight goes into the software side so if if you wanted to build something with electronics 20 years ago then you would probably need to do 95% hardware and then 5% software or even no mm. software at all if that was just an FM receiver or something like that. But nowadays, I see a lot of people getting into this hobby of building things with electronics and Arduino. And people who are coming from programming background, developers have much easier time building things because they are not intimidated by code. They see code and they feel at home. Maybe they don't know the name of the functions or they are missing a few terms, technical terms here and there. 
but they do have this experience, this experience, how to architect software, how to build software, how to read code, how to modify code. And I think it's very interesting when I observe the difference between a programmer who is learning about electronics or a person who is learning about, who has some knowledge about electronics and trying to approach programming. It's very, yeah. very interesting to see, like, there is actually another interesting point where you see, like, if you give a programmer an electronics project to work on, you see them lost all the time because they are sort of used to things like console log and then they don't know how to do that in electronics. And apparently there are ways, but they are sort of like their mind tells them, hey, there must be a way to debug this. But then, but how do I do it? I don't know. So I find it really interesting, intriguing to see those things, how people approach this, how different people approach doing projects with electronics. Well, so with the Arduino, you can use JavaScript, correct? So you said Arduino, and that's a good opportunity to clear out some of the confusion. Usually mm -hmm. when people say Arduino, they don't mean what they think they mean. Let me explain. So <laughs> Arduino is a bad case of name overloading. It means too many things. It's a family of electronic boards that are beginner-friendly. It's also a programming language that is based on C++. And it's also like an environment with a standard set of libraries that lets you control hardware. So when you say Arduino, it really depends. If you're talking about the programming language, then obviously since the programming language that comes with, uh, that is called Arduino, is based upon C++, it's not JavaScript. But mm. then if you are talking about the family of boards, then some of the boards in this family are programmable with JavaScript. And there are a lot of other boards that are not official Arduino boards, but they are still like beginner friendly and they can be programmed with JavaScript, with Python, with esoteric languages such as Lua. Have you ever heard of Lua? I haven't. Yeah, I have. There's actually Hammer and Spoon, which like automates your Mac. You write the code for that is in Lua. So Okay. Yeah. I, I know That's it's really also cool. used in, in machine learning, but other than that, I, I didn't know about this use case. So yeah, so basically, if you are looking to start with electronics, and you really, you know JavaScript really well, I would say it's a good bet to start with one of the boards that come with built-in JavaScript support. Mm. And then for the other boards, thanks for the link to Amerspoon, for the other, for the other board, you can use Node.js library to control them. So your code runs on your computer, but the board is connected to your computer via the uh, USB cable. And your node, your node code just controls the board. So, for instance, coming back to the T-Rex game, I don't know if you have seen it on Twitter. Like a few months ago, there was a guy who just taped a sensor to his laptop screen, and then had this Arduino that would press the space bar whenever it would detect a cactus in the game. Have you seen that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I, I will send you the link later. So. Yeah. 
I, I wanted to, re- I, I, I did a talk about Arduino and JavaScript, and I wanted to reproduce this fun uh, setup here in my home. And for that, I actually used that library. It's called Johnny5. So I had like 20 lines script that would control the Arduino, use the Arduino to read the uh, light sensor that in my case, I didn't tape it to my screen because it was a friend laptop. I found another innovative way to attach it to the screen. So it would read the sensor, the light from the sensor. And whenever the reading would go down because the cacti are uh, black. So whenever a cacti would pass uh, next to the sensor, you would get, see uh, dropping the uh, reading. It would just use a small motor to press the space bar and make the, dino, the dinosaur jump. So what about it was the pterodactyl really though? You have to go underneath the pterodactyl if you keep on playing. It didn't go that far. I think it, the high score was like 500 points. Noob. Uh, it's not me. It's my script. I'm, I'm asking with you. Yeah, no, I was just But I know. But uh, <laughs> on the other hand, you could just leave it to play for like hours and days continuously. And I guess that at some point, randomly, it would just get to a high enough score if you give it enough time to play. So yes, I, I, I think if you are a JavaScript developer and you really feel comfortable with JavaScript, I would start just to get a good feeling of the hardware and everything with either Johnny 5 and one of the boards or one of the specific boards. There is like small version of JavaScript called Esproino that you can get a few boards that have this pre-installed. It's actually uh, created by a guy from the UK. So Chris, you might have met him from Oxford. Gordon Williams, he also went on some conferences. Okay. So I would I would say that's a good point for, to start. Or otherwise, you can just get like the standard Arduino Uno board and start with their language. The, the Arduino language, even though it's based on C++, you don't really have to know C++ in order to use it. And I think the big advantage of using that over like using something that uh, runs in JavaScript is that you'll find a lot more examples and projects. And I think the language isn't the big problem anyway for people who are already familiar with programming. So would you say that the web, like, I don't know, it makes it more accessible? Because I, whenever we think about it, is it just because there are, you know, like you said, more examples available? Or is there, are there other reasons that the web makes programming these things accessible? So there are a few reasons. I think one of them is like the amazing number of online groups that you can ask for help or like there is a Reddit, a big Reddit community and become a lot of communities on Facebook and in other places. And then also the fact that uh, this is the project that I'm currently working on that lets you simulate Arduino inside the web browser. So basically, you can even start with writing Arduino code without even having any hardware. And I think for people like you and me, it doesn't make a lot of difference because for us, like buying some hardware to get started with, it adds a little friction and it's like a cup of coffee or so. 
But I see a lot of people from India, from Bangladesh, from a bunch of other countries that are like starting to get into hardware and electronics. And I know some, there was some teenager from Nigeria that reached out to me the other day and he said he's been saving for a few months already to buy his first Arduino kit because 35 bucks <laughs> is apparently not so cheap in Nigeria. So I think this also makes it much more accessible from mm. uh, for people from other parts of the world. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresinangular.com slash Raygun. Yeah, every time I've gone to go into it, I thought, what do I need to order? And then that's kind of where the idea died, right? Like then I spend some time on one of those sites with a million different Arduinos on it. And then an hour has passed by and I have to go back to real life, right? Yeah, I, I see that all the time. Even with me, I, I've built a lot of things and I have some experience, but still when I'm starting a new project, in order to find out what I really need, I usually have to spend like, five six hours of just like researching and it can be exhausting and if you don't have the experience then how do you choose so that's one of the goals of the website that i'm building where you can just try a lot of different things online in a simulation and then if you like something then you can you know which parts you need to get and you already have a code a piece of code that works with those specific parts so uh, oh my goodness that's them. crazy cool i had no idea you're working on that <laughs> yeah i know i'm not very good at running the world developer no we we, we 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 are good at like writing codes we are less good at, share, at sharing this i guess <laughs> so what is there a place that we can go and check it out or is it not ready for the uh prime time yet so it's you know, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so uh, <laughs> I know it's never going to be ready, but I will share the link on the chat. So this is like a collection of examples that I put online and every few days I'm adding a new one where you can just like run a bunch of demo programs and games in the simulation. So for instance, one of my... Um, favorite projects there is just a simple dice roller 
where you have two dice, you press on a button and you see random numbers. And another f- nice project, which is actually based on something that good friend Tal Offer did, he took an old rotary phone, like the ones that you use to dial with your finger, and then he turned that into a cellular phone. So you actually use the dialer to dial oh, the... My uh, goodness, I, would buy I that. wanted this to... Yes, I wanted yeah. this to exist. I really love this idea. <laughs> you realize, you realize there's, uh, there's going to be some some young people listening to this going like, what, what? what are you talking about? A phone that you have to turn something with your finger. Yeah, like without a touchscreen, how do you operate that? <laughs> I would I would 100% so, have that. I would throw away my iPhone. I wouldn't throw away my iPhone. I love it too much, but... I would I would also get a rotary mobile phone. I just I just think it'd be so fun to have like it's kind of like a landline, like a you know, a rotary phone, but whenever like my I'm at home and my cell phone rings, I can pick it up on that with the cord and everything. I don't know, I feel like that would be fun. <laughs> I, I think I'd I'd like to just use it in public just to baffle people. <laughs> like you could you could like rock up somewhere riding like a penny farthing and then get out your, your rotary mobile phone. Just okay. hold it, hold it from so underneath, see. like yeah. everyone used to, and walk around without yeah. the wire, you know, connected to the wall. A wireless rotary phone. Oh yeah. So, Ori, so, is this example um, that you just talked about? Is this on the site? So, first of all, I see you are so excited about it. So, I posted the link to his project page. It's really cool guy, Talofer. He's like doing so many cool things. He has a like three years old child and he builds games for the child all the time. And it's like, I love following him. So I posted a, a YouTube to a link to his uh, YouTube channel where you can see the rotary phone in action. It's actually like the Israeli style of rotary phone from the 80s with the Israeli telecom company Bezek logo on it. So for Israelis, it's like so nostalgic. And inspired by his project, I actually asked one of my friends to implement this rotary dialer as a web component so we can plug it into we could plug it into the simulation so now on that side that I shared with you there is like a demo where you have that web component that simulates the rotary dialer and another web component that simulates the an LCD screen and it basically runs the code that, that it used he used used to test this project so I just could I just took his code and created the simulation environment so people could just you know play with it and get a good idea of how the code works by tinkering with it and just you know seeing it in action and not just reading about it. I'm just using your rotary dialer thing now. It's incredibly satisfying. Thank you. I, I, yeah. I need to. <laughs> I, I will tell that to the talented developer. She she's like. She loves SVG and CSS and animations, and she stumbled upon my... I released all those components as an open source project, and she stumbled upon it, and she was like, hey, I really want to create one like this. Mm. Um, and she already created, I think, two or three. So uh, What's her What's her name? Sleep. Her name is uh, Liron, Liron Hazan. She, she's an Israeli front-end developer. And she's one of the most passionate people that I've seen for like project structure and don't repeat yourself and like getting the code really neat and tidy, which I kind of like. 
And she she also created this this rotary dialer component that I see is keeping Chris busy now. Yeah, that's me done for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Unmute. <laughs> <laughs> this is very so, like, it, it goes back and then around it's very cool <laughs> when you, have, when you just have to shut this episode down now like, yeah right. <laughs> <you're already> done. <laughs> yeah so now i can't wait for the link for this episode i would love to share it with her and she would probably be amazed by the effect of her work it's very cool well it looks like we are reaching the top of our hour i know we got some soft talk stuff with community and travel and conferences and we hit up on the Arduino and the brand of Arduino, (laughs) the different boards you can buy and programming with that. So, Ori, is there anything else before we get to picks that you wanted to hit on either in those two topics or outside? Well, I think most people already know it, but Mm -hmm. since we are on an Angular podcast, I want to say Angular is amazing, but what I've learned is that it's not a good fit for everything. And right now I'm building a new website, another small project I'm working on, which is just a collection of Arduino coding samples. It's called Good Arduino Code, and the purpose is just to give people examples which follow best practices so they can learn from good code. And... I I thought about when I started doing this website, I thought about using Angular for that. But then after trying Angular Universal, and now there is uh, Scully, which I know is pretty good at catching up what we already have in other frameworks. And I really love that this is coming to Angular. I actually found that Next.js and React were letting me do it much more efficiently, get the work done so much faster. So I think another thing I want to tell to the Angular developers there is that even though Angular is great, and I use it for like this uh, website that I showed you, walkby.com, for things like static websites with a lot of content, I personally find Next.js and React like very uh, productive uh, mm. way combination for me. You signed this <laughs> no, it's it's all about the right tool for the job. And I was on a oh, like a seven hour stream last week where we were building a Twitch extension and me and my friend were talking and we're like, we could do it in Angular, we could do it in React. And we were like, why not we just do it in jQuery? Like it's like a one one line poll. Like it was super simple. So I'm I love I love that you're giving this tip out because even though this is an Angular podcast, I wouldn't suggest using ang- Angular to your detriment, especially if it's because there's so many times that I hear negative things about Angular and I think it might be either the person is using Angular wrong or you're not using Angular, like it, it's not the right tool for the right job. So uh, I love to hear that. I love, I love to hear that advice, even if it's counter to the Angular love that is in my heart. <laughs> I, I was with you 100% until you, until you started advocating jQuery and then I... <laughs> oh, I knew I would get, I knew I would get got <laughs> from you about it. <laughs> yeah. It's me. It's, it's fine because this show's edited, so we're just going to delete all that. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. When you're saying uh, Jake Query, are you referring to that American actor? <laughs> Come 
on, guys. Chick-fil-A is not that bad. Why is there so much hate for it? Because yeah. it's awful. No, no, I, I take that. No, I, I fully take that. No, absolutely right. Uh, the, the, I will tell you because I do have a proper beef a bit against it. But that, the reason for that is when I was when I was a junior and I was just building websites with HTML and CSS, uh, the senior in the company that I was working for just said to me, "Just learn jQuery. You just got to learn jQuery is what you need." So I started doing that, and I realized very quickly that. Because J, jQuery is, is excellent at abstracting away all of the, the yuckiness from what JavaScript used to be like, right? And I just realized that by following his advice of just learn jQuery, I was learning absolutely nothing about JavaScript. And so that's mm. what my problem with jQuery is, is actually that it's not so much now because people are you know, moving on and, and JavaScript, vanilla JavaScript is so much better and we've got all these great frameworks but back then it's just like people were just learning jquery learning absolutely nothing about the the actual language so that that's yeah. that's my that was my beef with it i don't actually hate jquery i hate that advice just learn jquery that's actually an amazing point chris because i think it's pretty much the same with arduino and the c++ language and arduino is like a good way to get started but if you like just take Arduino, the language for granted, and you never stop and look under the hood and realize how they implemented the functionality, then at some point you are going to get into a kind of roadblock. And that that's exactly what you sort of pinpointed the difference that I see a lot between programmers and not programmers approaching Arduino. Many of the non-programmers, they're like, they know that if they write delay 200 it will stop for 200 milliseconds and they think that's like given and that's how they do it and they don't question it and they don't ask like what other ways can i use to delay and programmers mm. will just probably realize that if there is a function that returns the current time then you could just query it over and over and see like if the time is passed or you could probably use something like a timer. And then when they Google it, they find there are timer libraries. So I think the same thing goes for Arduino. A lot of beginners just like learn the Arduino API, but never spend time at understanding the things beneath the surface. And I think giving them this advice of, hey, go get something done with Arduino. And as soon as it's working, just start from scratch and try to use less Arduino library functions, that, that that could like lead to much faster understanding of what Arduino really is and how the microcontroller works there. So thank you, Chris. Oh, you're welcome. I always love it when my rants turn into something productive. So <laughs> are you freelancing or moonlighting? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. Well, I think we are reaching the top of the hours. So do either of you, Chris or Brooks, have a pick for today before we get to Uri? Yeah, I got some picks. I'll just also shout out Uri, uh mentioned Oxford earlier on. That's my hometown. I'm going I'm actually going there on Saturday uh, for the first time since B 
beginning of March, I think, you know, before we had the lockdown here. So I'm, I'm super excited to go there. It's my, it's my favorite place in the world. So thanks for giving me a little bit of uh, happy feels when you mentioned it. Um, my, my real picks, I bought some books this week, some programming books. I like buying programming books. I haven't bought any for a while because they go out of date so quickly. Um, mm. First one, a couple of months back, we had on this podcast, we had Dohan Luca, who was on to talk about his new book that he had coming out, which was um, Angular. I can look because I bought it. It's Angular for Enterprise Ready Web Applications. I had such a great time chatting to him on that episode that I was determined to get it when uh, when it came out. And I, it's arrived today. And I'll show you people on the camera. It's an absolute beast. It's like the probably the biggest... <laughs> programming book I've ever had so um, I've had a quick flick through and it it looks like there's some great stuff it goes from proper beginner all the way through to building full stack and deploying and docker and all sorts of things like that so Chris um, I have to ask yeah. mm. I know we're getting to the end of time but I have to ask because me and my husband were just having this conversation this weekend about like what is the point of a physical book for technology because you you hit on it right like it it goes out of date so quickly like, do you just in, enjoy like holding something like that? Like, or yeah, what? I, I really struggle with because I, 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 I've always from from when I was quite young, actually, you know, I when I was a, a kid, I used to uh, I had C for dummies and I was programming. I was learning from that. So it's it's learning from a book is something that that works well for me. And I for some reason, I really struggle with an ebook. Like I have my iPad propped up and I, I I struggle with that, whereas actually having a book open on my lap while I'm typing out code samples, it just works really well for me. Um, and if the book's good enough, it will get updated, which which actually segues me beautifully into my second pick. Uh, the um, Apple's WWDC was last week, I think, as we record this. I, I love that. It's like one of the highlights of my year is watching the keynote because I'm a super Apple nerd. Um, <laughs> but every year i watch it and i and i just it makes me really want to to learn ios programming and I, every year i'm like well i don't really I, I you know i've got so much else to do but and this year i i actually thought well I, I might actually get into it because i feel really comfortable with my with my front end development now that i i don't think i need to be pouring all of my every resource into continually keeping up with that so um, i picked yeah, up naked. um yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's the thing, right? I I want to try a, diff a different language. Like, I love JavaScript. I love TypeScript, but I just I fancy another string on my bow. And actually, when I was because uh, I used to be I used to be a teacher. I'm, I'm, it's only in the sort of the last five years or so that I've transitioned to development. So when I was still teaching, I picked up a copy of an iOS programming book by Big Nerd Ranch, and it was excellent. In that back then, it was Objective C. And that was what made me decide to leave teaching. I was enjoying that so much. So, what? Um, That's awesome. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so the reason why this fits in with what you're asking before, I've just picked up like just the latest edition of that book that I was that I was using like six seven years ago, and they got a seventh edition out. It's it's iOS programming, the Big Nerd Ranch Guide. Those books are great. I I really they really click with me. So that would be my my second pick. Sorry, my picks took ages today, but... <laughs> no, I love I it. And it kind of uh, revealed the mystery behind the the physical book and learning from that for me. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that's the thing. Right? If, a book's, if a book's good enough, it will get re-released when, it, when it's not relevant. So. I actually also remember that when I started 
I learned from books, like I think it was QBasic and then Turbo Pascal. And with the first books, you actually had to type the programs because they didn't come with, later they started coming with discats and CD-ROMs, but before that, like, just had to type a program from the book and then it didn't work and you had to, hmm, what did I copy wrong? Or maybe I'm using <laughs> my compiler yeah. is too new. And in fact, like when I was a kid, I used to, I used to, uh, I had a Commodore 64 and I used to type basic code out of magazines. You know, maybe, so maybe it just comes from that. It's because it's what I've always done. There was like found coding magazines? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I actually found uh, one of the basic programs I wrote like in 1996 or something like that. And I looked at the source code. It's horrible. Like, 2,000 lines of code, no comments, no indentations. I don't know how it ever worked. Why did, like, did you have it saved? How did you find it? <laughs> I found a zip file I created mm. back in 2000 or something with like a lot of old code that I wrote. And I actually put some of it on my GitHub, like some nonsense stuff that I created like 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I'll give you a lot, of, a lot of extra green squares, right? Suddenly putting up twenty last 25 years worth of code. <laughs> so, oh, someone's been busy on their GitHub recently. I actually backdated the commits, I think, to the... Uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't know time, you could so. do that. Really? Uh, git commit, commit minus minus amend. So here, I will just put here a link to something I created in my eighth grade. Amazing. And the fun stuff, I don't know if you know, there is a software called DOSBox. So you can actually run these Pascal programs inside a simulator on a web page. Oh my goodness, run it online in DOSBox. Cool. That is awesome. Exactly. <laughs> Brooks, oh, darling, yes. do you have any, yes, any good I, to share? I, I do. I just got distracted. Yeah, so I found this repo other day, I put it in my list of picks. It's called Real World Examples. And it's making a clone of Medium with a bunch of different tech stacks, both front end and back end, right? So the API is the same. So you can just, you know, test out whatever front end you're thinking of using and whatever back end and kind of get a real world example of what a code base looks like. Cool. So that's pretty cool. Provide instructions on how to alienate all your uh, users as well. Yeah, sure. Just at a payroll. <laughs> I'm actually about to do a series on upgrading a Silverlight app to Angular. Do you guys have any advice on that? Just delete it and start again. <laughs> yeah, there's no upgrade there, is there? Um, take, take screenshots. I mean, my, my, migrating? Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Redoing. Redoing. I actually, there, I actually did something similar with a flash app. So I used yeah, I did to a flash app to Angular too. Mm. Yeah, but well, I don't know how it would work with Silverlight. Oh, I'm gonna find out, man. It's gonna be intense. even even <laughs> when I when I did flash to Angular too. It was just you know test the app in Flash and see what it does, and then do that in Angular, right? right. Was okay. A, so it really is like rebuilding. It's not like there's no. Just use this so converter actually, tool. In, in in Flash, the thing is, they had like this language called ActionScript, which was yeah. based on mm-hmm. ECMAScript 4, which is basically mm-hmm. JavaScript with classes. So yeah. I had most of the logic mm-hmm. written into classes. And this was like salsa music application, as you could expect from me. <laughs> yes. So 
some of the logic actually translated pretty uh, well. Just, you know, copying the classes, changing them to .ts, adding the types, mm-hmm. it pretty much worked. But then, you know, all the UI, the UI had to be rebuilt with material and uh, okay. all the no, Angular I... goodness. <laughs> I ActionScript was actually the first language I learned. So, uh, and then you know it was like a year later that Womp Womp it didn't <laughs> it was no longer a thing. So, <laughs> okay. So, oh Brooks, did you have any other picks other than that? No. Awesome GitHub link. No, I do not. Alrighty. Well, I will do my pick, and then we'll hit up Uri's. Mine is just that I am on Twitch every Wednesday. I'm about to jump over there right now because we're. We're recording on Wednesday today, like uh, crazy people. Uh, and I do UI Wednesdays from 2 to 4 Central. Um, and I just basically am building out UI and answering questions and doing CSS and SVG and lots of fun. So, But I'm also there for other shenanigans. So twitch.tv slash code it live. Check it out. Um, and Uri, what do you got for us? What picks do you have? So let's start with an email that you... No, we'll end with that, actually. <laughs> First of all, well, uh, if you don't know her already, then check out her Twitter, Charlie Gerard. I think she's originally from Australia, and now she moved to uh, the Netherlands, and she does really cool things with JavaScript and with machine learning and also with uh, neuroscience. So she did this T-Rex game we mentioned so many times in this episode. She did a version of it that you can just think about the T-Rex that jumps and using brain-computer interface, she intercepts the thought and makes it jump. So she's doing really crazy things. And another thing, you wrote an email to me about DevReach, which is October 22nd, right? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I replied to you, but anyway, I was going to say that I would love to join. It's remote, but... October 22 is around the date when we are expecting a baby. Oh. Might not be able to make it. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Thank oh. you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, well get, get, get as much sleep in now as you can. <laughs> After meeting Mr. Mills, we decided that we want one of our own. I'm so excited for you. This is going to be like the best thing the world could have is like a little Uri, like. (laughs) Not just a little Uri, it will be a little female Uri. Oh, do you have a name picked out or not yet? We have a list, but uh, Mm -hmm. if you have any suggestions, uh, we might, uh, we don't um, share the list because uh, we found that whenever we tell people the names we are thinking about, they always mm-hmm. they always have like those connotations, and then they say, yeah. uh, "Oh, this room, you shouldn't use that name because, or I don't like it." So yeah, yeah, uh, no, we did the same thing where we didn't say like the name until the day of, but we really we wanted to see his face before we actually assigned a name to him. So it was literally a game time decision. We were sitting in the hospital room, and me and Zach were looking at him, and I was like, "I don't know, Daniel or Scott? What does he look like to you?" <laughs> I say, does he look like a Mr. Milks? <laughs> well, he, and the we rest is history. Yeah. Right. We went with Daniel, but he, he is Mr. Milks to those the, his good friends. So, <laughs> Well, congratulations, Zuri. We would love to have you on uh, if you can make it. And if not, no worries. But yeah, it's 
going to be a unique format this year. So DevReach, we have different day for each technology. So we're going to have an Angular day. And we're basically, I had this crazy idea to do like an Angular relay. So the first part of everyone's talk is going to be me interviewing them and getting to like know them personally. Because I feel like a lot of times in the tech community, we have these figureheads, but we don't really know them personally. So it'd be crazy cool to be like, you know, hey, John Papa, what's your favorite pizza topping? Like, et cetera, et cetera. So um, at the end, we're going to wrap up with every speaker. And this is where the relay part comes in, adding a bit of like either something they love in Angular or something that they just do often in Angular apps that isn't necessarily Angular. And we're just going to be adding on to this app and passing it on to the next speaker and like seeing like what kind of, you know, awesome conglomeration we can end up with at the end of the day. But yeah, so uh, we would love to have you, Uri, but also best excuse ever. So <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> well, darlings, unless there's anything else, I think this show has been a wrap. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.